Okay. Uh, I get the pleasure of introducing you to, I'm not really introducing you to, because you all probably know this person, but so our speaker this morning, it's Pastor John Nobles. We love him. He's been a part of our church family before. He is now too. And I'm just going to say, he's probably going to say this too, but I'm really excited for him. His family, his wife and his son have been in Hawaii for quite a while while he and his daughter have been here. And they are coming home on the 20th of this month. So that is very, very exciting. We are happy for you, John. Excited about that, too. And we're excited to have you share with us this morning. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Good morning. I'm, I'm really excited about the sunshine that I'm seeing outside. So uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be moving through the passage fairly quickly. But don't worry, I'll shortchange you. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning or whatever you're using uh, as a Bible, Please open it up. We're going to be in First John this morning. We're going to be finishing chapter 2, so 2.28, and then we're going to move into chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. Um, remember, a little bit, a little context, John is writing to the church in Asia Minor, and he's doing this to combat false teachers that were spreading some false doctrine in the church at that time. So the apostle writes... And this book is very much about assurance. It identifies what a Christian looks like, and it just hopes to build a confidence in the believer's walk. Confidence. Here's the question this morning I want you to think about. I'm calling the message Confidence Booster. Here's our question. If Jesus were to return tonight... How would you welcome him? Think about that for a second. Would it be with confidence? Would it be with open arms? Because you're in relationship with him? You're actively in fellowship with him? You're doing what he's asked you to do? You're eagerly waiting for him to return? Or will you be ashamed? Maybe you're out of fellowship. Maybe you're doing your own thing. Maybe you've stumbled in sin. And worse yet, some, some won't even know him when he comes back. Will you be confident or will you be ashamed when he comes? Let's look at this in 1 John. We're going to get right at it. Chapter 2, verse 28 and 29 say this. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. John says, abide in him. Abide means to remain. It means to stay. Take up permanent residence. John's talking about staying in fellowship with Jesus. A deep and permanent relationship with him. When we come to Christ, our relationship is fixed, but our fellowship 
with him is not. It's dependent on us abiding and being in fellowship with him. Not our relationship, but we have this fellowship with him. And we can meet with him daily. There's going to come a day when Jesus is coming back. That's what verse 28 says. It means the return is imminent. And when he does, will you be ready? And he says, it's possible some will be ashamed. Will you be confident? Or will you be ashamed? And the apostle includes himself in this statement. He says, we may have confidence. Ooh, I'm going to go. How could that be? How could some of us be ashamed? It's just not, not being ready, not being in fellowship with him. Some will be afraid because they don't know him when he comes. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. I was thinking about this this week. Years ago, I worked at a company, and I was there for a number of years, and, and I was promoted to manager of this warehouse. Um, and at that time, I was responsible for the day-to-day operation of this place, and it was a lot. And our headquarters was out of state. The headquarters was away, and so I would run this place daily. But what I didn't know was unannounced, senior management would come and just show up to check in and see how things were going. And early on, early on in that endeavor, a couple of times I got caught off guard. I wasn't prepared, and I was ashamed. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. In the same way John writes to us, he wants us to be confident. Confident when Jesus comes. And I want you to be confident. And so this morning he's going to give us some things here in his word that I hope will instill confidence in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Father, I pray that you would just use me this morning to speak this message. It's not about me. It's about you. Have your way here this morning. I pray that you'd give my brothers and sisters ears to hear and eyes to see, Father, and you would just help us to understand what you have for us, Lord, to understand your love and to understand what Christ has done for us and how you've declared us to be righteous. Help us to understand this this morning, Lord, and still confidence in my brothers and sisters this morning, Lord that we may be eagerly waiting your return. I ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's look at verse 29 again of our text. It says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You see, Confidence starts when we've been born into the family of God. If we've been born again, we will practice righteousness. To know God as righteous means to have placed our faith in Christ. That means we're not counting on our own moral uprightness. We've been given his righteousness. It's a family trait. 
This morning, I want us to see two traits that the children of God get when we're born into the family. The first trait is righteousness. God is righteous, and if we're truly born into the family of God, then we've been given his righteousness. That righteousness gives proof that we're born again. Righteousness means godly character. Because God is righteous, we inherit this as a child of God. Which in turn means we'll be practicing it. That's why John says everyone who practices this kind of righteousness has been born of him. It's God's righteousness. It comes from him. To be born again in God's family and given God's righteousness, that should give us confidence. Confidence. That's an awesome thing because Romans 3.10 says, no one is righteous. Not one of us. The prophet Isaiah says, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our righteousness is not good enough. Our good works are so filthy, there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. God has to do it. That's why we need a Savior. We need Jesus. And God gracefully gives, gives us his righteousness through faith in Christ. He imputes his righteousness to us. Right? Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, he made Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. God gives us his righteousness. He gives his righteousness to sinners so that we can be declared righteous. That's an awesome thing. That righteousness is a family trait. This is what gives us confidence at his coming. It's the fact that we're declared righteous before him and we can be in a relationship with him, with a holy and righteous God. We're not dependent on our own righteousness. Praise God that we've been given a gracious gift of Christ's righteousness through faith in his sinless death on the cross. Not only do we get his righteousness, let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. Children of God. <laughs> it's so matter of fact. And so we are, John says. In the New American Standard, I got the ESV, the New American Standard, it says, Behold. It's an attention grabber. John wants us to look at something here. It's like being in an art gallery and the MC says, Hey, behold. Look over here. I'm going to unveil this. That's the meaning here. That's what John wants us to see. Look at this love that God has for us. That means we are now sons and daughters. That's the meaning here. That's what he wants us to see. He wants us to take note of an amazing love 
God has for us. Not only does God gracefully save us, but he loves us so much that he makes us part of his family. We're his children now. Romans 5 says, God shows his love for us while we're sinners. While we're sinners, Christ died for us. His love is perfect. It's unconditional. He gives it to us while we're sinners. We can never out-sin his love for us. His love is greater than anything we can say or do. God's love is self-sacrificing. It's one way. It's a one-way love that's free to relate to because of the death of his son for our sins. He doesn't love us on the basis of who we are. He doesn't love people on the basis of who they are. He loves us on the basis of who he is. It's not about us. God loves out of his character. It's about who he is. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. And this same love that saves us brings us into the family of God. John wants us to take special note. He calls us his children. Because of God's love for us, we're now children of God. There's a sense in which this is a total unnecessary blessing that God gives us in the course of salvation. It's a demonstration of his true and deep love for us. His deep love for me. His deep love for you. We can picture somebody helping somebody. Somebody meeting a need. Somebody serving food. But this love goes further than that. This love brings that person into their family. It doesn't just meet the need. That's what God has done for us. It's a special privilege to be brought into the family of God. We can come before him with confidence as sons and daughters. And unfortunately, not everyone gets to be a child of God. Only those that receive the love of Jesus in a life of fellowship and trust in him. You see, in John 3.16, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son for the world. But he says in John chapter 1, he says this. Verse 11. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, talking about Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. This morning, if you know him, you're a child of God. And now that we're a part of that family, the world will see us differently. They won't recognize us. Like many didn't recognize Jesus. We're different. We look different because we're part of God's family now. We're not a part of the world's family. 
we're different. We do things differently. We operate differently. Have you experienced this? I have family members that ask me, why are you taking your family over there? What are you doing? Why are you moving over there? To what? To help start a church and build community? Why are you always meeting with those people? Why do you give so much there? They don't get it. They don't understand. We're different. We're not of the world. We're different. Jesus was different. They didn't get it when he came. And he endured the ultimate. And that was for us. They won't recognize us. We're not a part of their family anymore. The Bible calls us strangers and aliens and sojourners here on this earth. Sometimes it's hard to be an outsider in this world. But it's okay. Jesus did it. And we can have confidence that we're part of his family when we experience that the world doesn't know us, doesn't recognize part of God's family. We're not full residents here. I love the Northwest, but this is not where we're going to be forever. This is temporary. We have so much to look forward to as sons and daughters. Look at verse 2 and 3 in our passage here. It says this. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John's contrasting the, the now versus the future. He says, we are now the children of God. The not yet has not. It hasn't come yet. There's something more for us. There's a not yet dimension. There's something in the future for us. What we have now is a foretaste of what we will be. Our present state of, as Christians is an indication of our future glory. And there will come a time when we'll see Jesus as he is. Amen? Amen. We shall be like him. Not in the way that he is Lord but in a new physical body and having been conformed fully to his nature. I'm so looking forward to that. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. Verses 20 and 21 say this. The Apostle Paul speaking here. Says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is temporary accommodations. You see, we're foreigners here. And in time, we have so, so much more to come. Knowing our destiny helps us right now. Knowing what's 
ahead. We get a foretaste now, and we have the hope of knowing a future outcome will be more like Jesus. That hope makes us want to be more like him now. It should. That's what John is saying. Verse 3 is a key verse here. The word hope. It says, everyone who thus hopes in him. The word hope means confident expectation. Confident expectation concerning something in the future. The hope in this case rests in him, in Jesus. Jesus is coming His coming back is our foundation of hope. We don't find hope in ourselves. We don't find hope on this earth. Our hope is set on Christ. It's in him coming back. Our hope is in him. It's not in heaven. It's not in righteous works. It's not in this world. It's in him. It's in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. You see, Christ's return is a strong incentive to purity. He says, this hope produces purity. We know he is coming again soon. This anticipation makes us behave differently. Our question was, if Christ were to show up this afternoon, would you be confident? Would you be ready? Are you thinking about that? If we think that he's coming back, I'm in relationship with him. I'm I'm so excited It changes our behavior. It makes us want to be pleasing to him now. Not to gain favor. That part is done. It's like my illustration of the boss coming in and wanting to be prepared for them. It's like like you're going to have company over for dinner. And so that triggers dinner preparations. You want to be ready. You want to have the table set. You want to have the house clean. That's what he's talking about. That anticipation for for Christ coming back. It helps us to live in purity, expecting his return with confidence. Not live in sin. Sin is incompatible with our new birth. That's what he's about to tell us. Look at verse, verses 4 to 6 here in chapter 3. I'll say this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Let's stop there. You see, sin equals lawlessness. Sin at its most basic root is a disregard for the law of God. It's lawlessness, which is a disregard for the lawmaker himself, which is God. It's incompatible. Therefore, when we're born into God's family... Sin is incompatible with the nature that God gives us. John's going to unpack this idea for us. He gives us two reasons why Jesus came. The first one, he says, Jesus appeared to take away sins. 
That's why we don't make a practice of sinning. In Matthew 121, the angel Gabriel, he promised Joseph regarding the ministry of Jesus, says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Christ's mission was to come and take away sin. And he's qualified to do it because he was sinless. There was no way we could take away our own sin. It had to be Jesus. He's the only one qualified to take away our sin. John the Baptist says in John 129, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's Jesus. Jesus takes away our sin in the sense of taking the penalty of sin. This is immediately accomplished when we come to faith to Jesus. Jesus takes away our sin in the sense of taking the power of sin away. This is an ongoing work in our life. We are under construction. He is continually working to take away that power of sin. That is now. And one day, Jesus will take away the sin in the sense of taking the presence of sin away. All of it. That work will be completed when we pass into eternity. And we're glorified with him. It's the mission of Jesus to take away the sin. And that's what allows us to be a part of the family of God. When we believe in faith that he died on the cross, we can be a part of God's family. This gives us confidence. Confidence. Our sins are forgiven. It's because of Jesus. Our confidence is in Jesus and in his work. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. You see, abiding in God and living in sin are mutual exclusive. That means they can't go together. In Jesus, there is no sin at all. It's one or the other. The fact that we're part of God's family now and we have his nature that he gives to us, it gives us confidence. This confidence in him should help steer us away from sin because it's incompatible. It's incompatible. And if one keeps on sinning, John says, that keep on is habitually, it's constant. It's not a stumble. They prove they don't know him. They don't know God. John says, keep on sinning. It's not just to commit a sin. It's a practice. He's not talking about a stumble or a sin lapse. We're not perfect but we're talking about a lifestyle of habitual sin. We know that if we sin, in 1 John 1, 9 says, to confess our sin to him and he will cleanse us. It doesn't mean we're perfect. The 
nature that God gives us when we become his children will always seek to do away with sin because it's incompatible. Look at verse 7. He says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. You see? Remember? That one of the traits that God gives us in his family is righteousness. And so if we're practicing his righteousness, we're righteous. The most important thing a person can ever do is to make sure he's righteous before God. And this simply means he's held in right standing. It's not nothing we can do. It's all because of Jesus. It's more than saying not guilty. It's, it's more like saying not guilty, in right standing. It speaks of the presence of good, not just about the absence of evil. It's not the practice of righteousness that makes us righteous. Rather, it's righteous conduct is a sign of righteous character. We've been given that nature. Verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. John gives us the second reason for why Jesus came it's to destroy the works of the devil, to take away sin and destroy the works of the devil. You see, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and free us from our bondage to him. We can see the heart of God grieving over the destruction the devil has done on this earth. And so he sends his son. Jesus came to put a stop to that by overcoming the devil completely with his life, his suffering, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. Our confidence is in Jesus. Our confidence is in his work, not in us. We can be confident with that. Lastly, I'm wrapping up here pretty quick. Verse 9 says this, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Again, John reinforces this truth. He emphasizes this truth. He continues to hammer down on this truth. But then he says, God's seed abides in you. That's God's spirit. That's God's Holy Spirit. That means his spirit and his nature are now in you. Again, abide means to remain. It stays in. It takes up permanent residence that tells me I can't lose my salvation I don't believe that a true born again believer can lose their salvation how can someone be unborn 
The question is, the question is, is the person truly born again? The original language here implies that that seed remains in us. That should give you confidence. That gives me confidence. I'm now God's children, child. See, God invites us all to be a part of his family. He sends his son to take away sins and destroy the works of the devil. He does this because he loves you. And he wants to have fellowship with you. This morning you have an opportunity to be a part of God's be a part of God's family if you haven't done that. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is Lord and ask him to save you from his sins. And believe that he died and rose again from the cross. You can have that confidence this morning if you haven't done that. Romans ten nine says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can be confident in that. And for those of us who are already part of God's family, where are you at? How's your confidence this morning? If Jesus was coming back in an hour, are you ready? Are you confident in what you're doing and where you stand? Are you in fellowship with him? Get right with him this morning. We don't want to be ashamed when he comes. You see, we can be confident because of Jesus. If you put your confidence in the work of Jesus and remain there, abide there, which is what John is telling us, abide there, stay there in that work and what he's done. You can be confident when he returns. It's because of Jesus that we can have a relationship with the Father and be sons and daughters. It's because of Jesus that we can have our sins forgiven and be declared righteous. It's because of Jesus that we're given God's Spirit. This morning, put your help, your hope, excuse me, in Jesus. And it has finished work. And remain there. Abide there. Stay in fellowship with him there. And you will have confidence. Amen.